1110-1110-WBT. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Man, I have so many different stories to get to. Let me do this real quick, actually. Before I get to Richard Burr, maybe a related story. The top five rattiest cities. You know what the, from Orkin, rats. Oh, uh, sorry. Orkin ranked metro regions by the number of new rodent treatments performed. And the top city, the rattiest city, the city with the most rats, is Chicago, followed by Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Baltimore, Philadelphia, Detroit, Denver, and then Cleveland, Ohio, rounding out the top 10. All right. So these are all just basically Democrat cities, right? Is that is that fair to say? Is that I'm sorry. Is that a cheap shot? Let's see here. Uh, next 10, you got Seattle, Minneapolis, Boston, Indianapolis, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, San Diego, Houston, Cincinnati, Dallas. I've been everywhere, man. Hartford, Milwaukee, Miami, Portland. All right, I'm just going to skip ahead here because number 35 is Raleigh. 35 is Raleigh. 42 is Charlotte. That's how far far down the list we are. 42. And Greenville, South Carolina, makes the list at 44. Those are the only cities in the Carolinas that are on the rattiest city list. Charlotte comes in at 42. During an unprecedented last year, the visibility of rodents increased, says Orkin, creating concern for homeowners and business owners alike. The pandemic-driven closure of restaurants, get this, the closure of restaurants forced rodents to find new food sources. So all the restaurants being closed sent the rats out. The pandemic-driven closure did it. Without food waste to consume, the pests were seen scavenging new areas and exhibiting unusual or aggressive behavior. The presence of rodents became so prevalent that the CDC issued rodent control guidance on ways to keep rats and mice out of homes and businesses. Also, this is according to Orkin. Okay, these are the experts here. Also, as urban restaurants, or sorry, residents, started to return to their city homes after the mass exodus, so after all the city folk fled the cities... Right now they started coming back. So did the rat populations. Thanks to their human neighbors being back in houses and apartments, food and water sources then became replenished per Bloomberg news in New York city alone. The number of rodent complaints to a city hotline in March, 2021 surged by 80%. And the number is also higher than pre pandemic levels. What do you want to do to keep the rats away? Orkin recommends keep your food stored away. Also, breathe. I just feel like if you needed to know that to keep your food stored away, you might also need a reminder to inhale and exhale to stay alive. Uh, Small crumbs and garbage are popular food sources, as are dry goods like grains and cereals. These should be kept in sealed metal or glass containers. Uh, clear out the clutter, cardboard objects, 
prove attractive to rodents. Uh, also, don't let the landscaping run wild. I ever tell you about the time I came face to face with a rat while I was in a crawl space? No, probably not. Oh my gosh, it was awful. Yeah, it was the first house. It was over off of uh, Eastway and Shamrock over there. It's on Hilliard Drive, my old address. And um, it's the first house I bought. It was a fixer-upper. And uh, the obviously, the, it, it, well, I was underneath the crawl space, and I'm in there, and it's a crawl space. And so I'm like, you know, going on my on my stomach, and I'm like doing the elbow low crawl through the crawl space. And I come around because I got to go all the way around because the HVAC system ran right through the center. So I got to go all the way to the front of the house uh, from the back of the house. I got to low crawl all the way around, then come all the way back to get to the area I needed to get to. And when I turned the corner around one of the uh, the posts down there, like the brick foundation post or whatever, and I, I, I make the turn and there's a rat. right Its face looking right at me. Like, probably, uh, I don't know, eight inches from my face. I I fully acknowledge I screamed like a child. It was dead, which is probably a key piece of information. It was, it was a dead rat, and then I found another one later. So it was dead. It had been dead for a while, but it, it was like it, was, it had lost all its hair, and it was all smooth, and it had, like, melted. It looked like it had melted down. Oh, it was gross. Anyway, uh, inspect both inside and outside your house and look for possible entry points. That's what Orkin recommends. Thank you, Orkin. So, uh, Raleigh, rattier than Charlotte. In your face, Raleigh. Um, Senator Richard Burr. In a related... No, I'm kidding. Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina and his brother-in-law, who is chairman of an independent... federal agency spoke on the phone shortly before both men sold off their stocks weeks ahead of national covid lockdowns in 2020 that according to the sec which has uh, put a filing into civil court about the matter now he was previously cleared right the fbi took his phone back in may of 2020 they did a criminal probe um and uh, then he stepped down as uh, chairman of the senate foreign relations committee and all that. And, uh, and at the time, like I said, just, I mean, see, I'm one of these guys because I, like, I understand when you're in the news business as a reporter, the job was always, you know, get it fast, get it first, get it right. That's what you used to kind of live by. Now I think it's too fast. I think there's stuff that's, it's too fast. So, I want to let stuff breathe because there's a lot of times where reporters rush out and they get it fast and they got it first, but they didn't get it right. And too often you got bad actors that do that in order to write the narrative first and then to have that narrative calcify. And so I don't want to participate in that. Um, I don't want to be wrong more than I you know, don't care about being second to the story. So at the time, I was like, well, let's see what happens. Let's see what they say. And, you know, Richard Burr was saying that he just got all of his information from the news, from CNBC and that guy with the buttons and the the sound effects on CNBC. So he doesn't have buttons or sound effects, but 
He's an expert on uh, reporting traffic. Maybe not really stock tips. I don't <laughs> no, know. No, yeah. I wouldn't do that. No. no, I don't think I would trust you on the stock tips. Nor should you trust me either. We take sirloin tips, but ah. no stock tips. Nice. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina and his brother-in-law, who's chairman of an independent federal agency, they chatted on the phone shortly before both men sold off their socks. Sorry, stocks. That's a joke for the Richard Burr sockless fans. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that was one of his things. Oh, he doesn't wear socks. Oh, it's so cool. Okay. The filing comes as the SEC continues to investigate whether Burr, a Republican, and his brother-in-law, Gerald Fouth, sold the stocks on the basis of material non-public information that Burr obtained as part of his job. Members of Congress are barred from trading on non-public information they receive as a result of their positions as lawmakers. Unless your name is Nancy Pelosi, then you are, in fact, allowed to do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't even had the... Oh, I didn't have it plugged in. There we go. Yeah, what just happened there? That was a half a that was a half a rim shot. It was just the shot. Um, as chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, what am I even doing the story now for? I've already ruined the two jokes I had. No, I'm kidding. As chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Burr was given access in January and February to classified intel reports that contained stark warnings about the coronavirus pandemic. The SEC's probe is focused on the timing of trades in February of 2020. Fouth is the national uh, is the chairman of the National Mediation Board. That is an agency that facilitates labor management relations in the U.S. railroad and airline industries. He is also the brother of Senator Burr's wife. So his brother-in-law. Um. At the time, when this came to light by ProPublica, he said that he relied solely on public news reports to guide his decision regarding the sale of his stocks. Specifically, he said, I closely followed CNBC's daily health and science reporting out of its Asia bureaus at the time. Now, the SEC, in a new filing in its civil case, said that Burr, on February 13th, called his stockbroker to sell $1.65 million worth of stock. That's like producer Ryan money right there. All but one of the equities in his wife and his wife's joint individual retirement account portfolio. So that was at 8.45 a.m. And then, immediately at 11.32, three hours later, Burr called his brother-in-law. And the call lasted 50 seconds. 5-0. 50 seconds. Brother-in-law, then... A minute or less later, because they don't know exactly when, I guess, but within a minute, Falf then calls his primary stockbroker's landline. He doesn't get him. Isn't that always the way? I tell you what. Falf then calls a second broker within two minutes and directed her to sell several stocks in his wife's account. I got to tell you, I'm just impressed that you could be on the phone with a family member for less than 50 seconds. I was not aware that's even possible. 50 seconds, like, what was that call? You jump on, you're like, hey, sell everything in 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 what? What would you say in 50 seconds? You got 50 seconds, you got to convey this information. Maybe they thought they were going to beat um, some sort of, like, a, 
I don't know. It's not like phone tapping or whatever. Maybe, maybe they thought, well, it was only going to be 50 seconds. We, nobody, would, no, nobody would find that. I don't know. I don't know, but I, I don't see. It just says right now that the SEC is investigating whether he sold the stocks on the basis of material non-public information. So it's still we're still at the same place. We still don't know whether he had access to information that let him make this decision or not, you know, based on stuff that was not publicly available. And, yeah, I mean, it's possible that he did get information, but I don't know that. I don't know that. And so everybody rushing to either defend or to, uh, to attack, I, I, you know, I think it says more about them than it does about what they know. Uh, speaking of the rat story, when we lived, I kid, I kid. Come on now. All right. Uh, Kelly says, Pete, when we lived in Chicago, that's the number one rat infested city, by the way, according to Orkin. Uh, when we lived in Chicago, the city had about 60 coyotes with radio collars to help with the rat rodent control. You'd see the coyotes on occasion, always at night. An interesting project, I think, might still be active. Speaking of coyotes, the Biden administration is considering issuing payments to immigrant families that got separated at the southern border under the Trump administration. 450k per person I saw on Twitter somebody pointed out. So, no reparations for black folks, but we're going to pay the illegal aliens the 450k. Like that's <laughs> That's awesome. That's great messaging there. Really. It's good it's good stuff. Um, total payout that could cost the government more than a billion dollars. People familiar with the matter told the Wall Street Journal that the United States Departments of Justice, Homeland Security, and Health and Human Services are weighing the payments as they work to resolve lawsuits claiming that the government subjected parents and children to lasting psychological trauma. No, you know what the psychological trauma came from? It came from your decision to cross the border illegally. Now, you can argue that that was a logical, rational decision that any you know, parent would do the same, that they would take advantage of the loophole that was available to them. Like, you could make all of those arguments, but at the end of the day, God, I hate that expression. I'm trying to rid my vocabulary of it. I apologize. But the parents made these decisions. The policy was meant as a deterrent. And as far as I know... Actions that are meant as deterrence are not supposed to be good. But now these folks can pull in $450,000. Oh, and the lawyers for the ACLU, the lawyers want them to get citizenship as well. So they hit the lottery. Congratulations. Lee Gallant. 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 The deputy director of the ACLU's Immigrants' Rights Project and a lead negotiator on one of these lawsuits brought on behalf of uh, unauthorized immigrants came across the border and got separated from their uh, families. He argued that the remedy for these separated families must include not only meaningful monetary compensation, but a pathway to remain in the country. President Biden, he said, has agreed that the family separation policy is a historic moral stain on our nation that must be fully remedied. However, some government lawyers see the payouts as excessive for illegal immigrants who broke the law by crossing the border. 
It added that a government lawyer threatened to remove his name from the case in protest of the potential settlement offer. This is becoming a problem, folks. You've got people who are suing government agencies. And the people who represent those government agencies become sympathetic or in agreement with the litigants, with the plaintiffs. And so then they cut a deal. This is a collusive settlement. This is the very same thing, to bring it all home, that Mark Elias did in North Carolina with our elections. Yeah, he sued the state of North Carolina. He represented the retirees group in the uh, AFL-CIO. He represented them, who, by the way, had hosted uh, a big annual conference for their members. And as a keynote speaker was Josh Stein, the North Carolina attorney general. And uh, they did this big gala, whatever. He was the speaker. And then lo and behold, he's representing the state in a lawsuit that they have brought They hire Mark Elias, who, oh, by the way, happens to also be the lawyer for Governor Cooper and all of the other Democrats. Oh, and Sherry Beasley. He became the lawyer for Sherry Beasley. So the, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. It was just his arguments that they used. I apologize. Wait, I'll have to double check that. I have to double check that. I may be wrong on Mark Elias signing on with Beasley. I may be wrong on that one. Um, But Mark Elias sues the state of North Carolina and then the the state settles the litigation and just coincidentally gives the plaintiffs like everything that they wanted. Oh, and by the way, it just so happened to be the very same things that the Democrat appointed Democrat in charge of the Board of Elections, Karen Brinson Bell, the very same things that she was asking for. She went to the legislature and she asked for certain changes in the election laws. They said no. And so then they get sued and she just coincidentally agrees to the settlement and gets the same things done that she wanted done. That's a collusive settlement. And the legislature said, we make the laws. The executive branch does not. But the courts refuse to, well, they... They won half of it, but the other half was, I mean, the court didn't, the court did not weigh in. The court did not say that the executive branch should not have done this. And so that's where we are. Lawyers with robes. That's it. It's a wardrobe change. Just give them this uh, outer garment to put on. And then all of a sudden they're super smart. No, I'm sorry. I just, I'd like, I'm, I'm, I'm at a position now. I'm at a point where like, I've lost so much confidence and faith in the justice system. Because of these, the, the, because of the way these judges behave in a nakedly partisan fashion. So whatever, uh, that's where we are. That's that, that that's the system we have. And so I'm sure this collusive agreement will pass muster for those lawyers on the bench too. I'm sure it'll all be fine, and we'll be paying illegal immigrants hundreds of thousands of dollars, grand total of a billion dollars. I mean, it's a great move. Really, like, honestly, it's a rational move. So what's the argument now going forward, right? You got a payday that you could get and citizenship. I was on uh, every Friday. I drop in with uh, the morning guy up in uh, Raleigh in Greensboro, KCO Day. We were talking about this story. And he was asking me, what's the, because, you know, he says, you know, we try to find the political rationale, like, 
we don't have to agree with it, but there's usually some sort of a political argument. And he asked me, like, what is it in this story? What could possibly be the rationale, the explanation for people that aren't, you know, in the tank? I said, I, I, I can't figure one out. It's just orange man bad. Donald Trump's policy was so terrible and all of this. And the lawsuits got filed and it just took this long to work their way through the system. And now you got a, an administration that's going to pay out because they agree. And I think that's it. I don't, I, I don't know how you justify it politically to your base, especially if you've got people in your base that are demanding reparations. <laughs> and you're like, no. How do you say no now? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Um, let me see here. Oh, yeah, let me get to this story. This is interesting. There's a bar in Iowa. It offers cocktails, karaoke, and pizza. Um, but one common bar feature is missing from the business. Alcohol. No alcohol at this bar. So, I don't know, maybe I'm old school, but not a bar. It's not a bar then. doesn't count. It's not a bar. bar. A bar has alcohol. And look, I applaud the concept. The name of the place is called Unimpaired. It's, I mean, it's catchy. It's a good name. It's good branding. Unimpaired. It's founded by a, a woman. She's been sober like four years, and she's like, hey, want to have a place where people can come and hang out and not have the social pressure to consume alcohol. I'm all for it. I'm totally supportive. But you can't call it a bar. It's not a bar. This is in Iowa City, by the way. Um, so they're going to offer no alcohol, but they do offer pizza, uh, some mocktails, I would call them, and karaoke. In a future-related story, a lot of people are going to be murdered in karaoke-related homicides at this place because there will be no alcohol to deaden the senses from listening to people scream into microphones. I will say also, though, I wonder, do you think this raises the caliber of the karaoke? Or not? I bet you have those, because you know there are karaoke pros, but you know they are ringers. These guys, they go around to karaoke contests and they win all the contests. Now, I don't want to brag or anything. I have won two karaoke contests in my life. However, I would also point out alcohol was involved. Okay. Uh, Boomer Von Cannon. Hey, what did you perform, Pete? Oh, what didn't I? No, I actually... <laughs> so here's the key. My, uh-huh. my golden rules here for karaoke. Yes, sir. Crowd favorites. There you go. You got to do the crowd favorites. Yes, sir. Because you get people singing along, and then the judges can't hear you. <laughs> That's and, hey, there you go. And they people so friends in low places. <laughs> sweet, it. yeah, sweet Caroline, yes. sweet home Alabama. Like these are your standards. Get everybody singing. Sweet Caroline. Yeah, I made the mistake bum, one bum, time. Bum. Yeah, a long time ago, I did Hey Jude, and that was terrible. Oh, no. it's, it's in a key <laughs> that McCartney sings in. I think it's C, and I'm nowhere near it. That was a. Uh, it was disgraceful. You do that one but Morris Albert feelings, nothing more than feelings. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> the Rose by yeah. Bette Midler. Oh no, man. <laughs> Show killer. <laughs> I'm surprised that you would play this song. Is that just because this is the only one you had that didn't have the lyrics? Is that why this one got picked? Yeah, I had a short break to look for something that was instrumental. Yeah, yeah. 
By the way, we're probably not going to be hearing this song a lot anymore after the Panther games uh, this season. <laughs> it's, it's hurtful. It's true. True. Hurtful nonetheless. Um, no, but you're a Baltimore Orioles fan. I hate this song because it's a Red Sox song. I know. It's not a Red Sox song. It's a Red Sox song. No, it's not. It is. So first off, as one who's from New York, <laughs> I am... Uh, I'm probably hate the, you, you hate the Red Sox as much as I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hate Boston. Everything. Everything about Boston. No. Uh, yeah, I don't... Uh, t- 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 take it a song down. I don't want to hear it anymore. It's done. Uh, no, it, like, when I heard that, that they, like, appropriated that song, there's no reason... You can say it. You, they stole it. Yeah. There's no reason for that song to be associated with the Boston Red Sox. And spare me whatever excuse or justification you want to give me. It doesn't matter. Who, who'd they steal it from? Who did who steal it from? Who did the Red Sox fans steal it from? I don't, it doesn't matter. They from, should, from Neil Diamond? <laughs> no, it should, they shouldn't sing it. There's no, there's no reason. There's no association. None. Right? What's the association? Isn't Neil Diamond a Red Sox fan? I don't care. It doesn't matter. They could have stolen any other song. There's nothing about that song that says baseball. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot. Yeah, there are probably are a lot better songs out Why, there. Why? I don't care about being fair. This is Boston we're talking about. <laughs> there's nothing redeeming or fair. Nothing. I mean, just in principle. That's why I hate Matt Damon. That's why I hate Ben Affleck. I mean, there are a couple other reasons, too. But no, I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, no. I, I take every opportunity I can to take a shot at Boston. Did you try and play your rim shot again? I did. But it's okay. It's fine. I thought you already unplugged it. That's why. Here, do it again. No, it's all right. No, do it again. Do it again. Moments passed. (laughs) The thing about comedy is timing. (laughs) Right. See, that's that's all about timing. A restaurant manager in Britain broke a Guinness World Record. I pulled this story for you, Ryan. A Guinness World Record broken by a restaurant manager. You know what the you know what the record was? No, I do not. I'm I'm intrigued. The number of chairs one could stack. We try. Uh, we actually tried this at the, in the restaurant uh, a couple weeks back because we had to do. It was carpet day. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So you got to stack the chairs up. I think we got seven. <laughs> this isn't even the. Uh, sorry, this is height. They went by height. This how many chairs this guy was able to stack. Okay. How high do you think you could stack a stack of chairs, restaurant chairs? And I'm assuming we're talking about, like, the metal-framed ones with the padding, right. you know. So, Is this outside or is this inside? Outside. Outside. Ooh. And you can use a ladder as well. I will go 12 feet. So the previous record, um, 15. That was the previous record. 15 and a half feet. He broke that record. It is now 17 feet high. Guinness Woo! confirmed J. Ehson. That's his name. Ehson. A-E-H-S-O-N. 37 years old, broke the world record with his stack of chairs outside the Bab e Salam Banqueting Hall in the Cheatham Hill area of Manchester. I hate the names in England. I just want to say that. Stacking the chairs can be very dangerous, Ehson said. Eason. Ehson. Essen. That's better. Essen. Uh, he said it is is important we picked a day when there was uh when there was wind when the wind was very light, so they did not blow over. 
People should not try this unless they are very experienced and confident in what they are doing. That's his advice here. (laughs) So how does one get experience stacking chairs except to stack chairs? What am I missing here? You just got to keep stacking them. And then they fall over. And that can be pretty dangerous, especially if you're up on a ladder. Think about that. They get so high up, 17 feet. That's almost two stories high, right? Two stories of chairs, and you're on that ladder. And if that stack of chairs starts falling towards you on the ladder, you're done, man. That you're, That's all she wrote. All right. Yo, Tim, what's up? Hi there, Pete Lama. <laughs> hey there. I want to let you know, I think that um, Boston likes that Sweet Caroline song because um, Neil Diamond said he wrote it for Caroline Kennedy. Yeah, I don't care. I think so. Yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I think that's the reason, anyway. But I, I, I kind of uh, fall in line with you. Right, but is, did she play for the Boston Red Sox? <laughs> I think she played. No, she didn't years. play for the Red Sox. Is she a current player for the Red Sox? No, she's not. There's no reason for it. Tim, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, as I said, it doesn't matter to me. And just, oh, oh, you know, just the lips are moving, but I've already put the hand up. I don't care. That's my, that's my response. Just all things Boston. Um, oh, here's another Guinness book. Of world record. There's a, there's a little fly, one of those little fruit fly things. It's slow. It's fat. It's about to die. It's in here someplace. We're it's gonna... elusive, though. Yeah, it is elusive. It's because it's so light when you go to smack. I, I will tell you this. This trick, I'm about to change your life. Okay. This trick works. I'm taking notes. It's very simple. For regular flies, house flies, the fat uh, black uh, house flies, you know, regular flies, poop flies, those guys. Um, they take off like helicopters straight up first. Okay. So when they go to, cause you ever try to kill a fly, right? They, they're so elusive. Like if they land somewhere, yep. you gotta, you gotta hit them with something or they're going to get away. Right. So here's how you kill them with your bare hands. And it works almost every time. And if it doesn't work, it's cause you, you did it incorrectly. <laughs> okay. So the fly user error, user error, the fly takes off like a helicopter, goes straight up. Okay. So what you do is you put your hands on either side of it. You kind of come in like a, like imagine you're, you have a shoe box and you're holding a box. So you got one hand on either side, right? Palms facing each other. And you're just going to go, you're going to clap right above the fly. You just clap. I was wondering why you were doing that earlier around the microphone. That's what I was trying to do. I didn't know. But that's not a that's not a house fly. It's too that's, elusive. That's, that's why it didn't work. It didn't work. I was I was I, I thought you were doing that because I thought you were trying to like avoid the like coming down on the microphone. Like that's why I thought you were doing that. Oh no, I didn't pay for this. It's fine. I'll break that <laughs> mic to kill a fly if I have to. Uh... Then, then Ron will do the same maneuver on your <laughs> on your head. <laughs> uh, all righty. So a Nebraska grocery store broke a Guinness World Record by creating an ice cream sandwich. How big was it? 2,960 pounds. That's a 3,000-pound ice cream sandwich. How many calories? I don't even know if you can count that high. The High V store in Plattsmouth said Guinness set the goal for the record at 2,460, but they beat it by 500 pounds, you know, give or take. Uh, They had 30 people working on it for five hours. So my question on this one was, 
Is it a sandwich if you cannot pick it up? Yeah, see? Very meta. Okay. And not in like a Facebook sort of way. Also, a Lithuanian guy set a Guinness record for spending the most time submerged in ice. Valer Jean Romanovsky took on the Guinness record for the longest duration of full body contact with ice by climbing into a glass container filled with ice cubes. This pandemic is going to kill us. People need, seriously, people need something else to occupy this their time. Is, this is what everyone was doing over the last yeah, year. Yeah, charting out how they're going to get the Guinness record. So he fills this thing with ice cubes and water, and then he goes out into the main square in historic Vilnius Old Town in Lithuania. How long was he in the thing for? Three hours and one minute. The previous record, two hours and 35 minutes. In a related story, a German inventor has created a a bath for the male gonads, let's say. Birth control device for men. She took the top award in uh, Germany's James Dyson Awards. I don't know. She's going to get some money because she invented this, this bath. It's actually it's an ultrasound. And it, it's not permanent, but it's a birth control device. And it makes the swimmers not want to swim. She got an award for it. She's like, there really needs to be some male birth control and so she came up with this this thing that's gonna like zap okay yeah i'm out all righty <laughs> uh brett winterbull's coming up next news talk 11 10 99 wbt have a great weekend i'll talk with you on monday don't break anything while i'm gone <laughs>